The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles. All fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And welcome, everyone, to another episode of Top Men in Indiana Jones Podcast. I am one of the top men, uh, Elliot Serrano. You may know me from other podcasts, such as Shaking That Herd and the MCU Review. Uh, the MCU Review being the host channel for Top Men. Uh, so if you're following us on the YouTube page, you're watching us on the MCU review page. You're also watching us on the Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast Facebook. So if you want to see all episodes of Top Men, well, so far there's only been two, including this one, and uh, the MCU review, check out our Facebook pages as well as the YouTube page. Uh, so let's pull in the rest of the crew in addition to our top guest. Uh, first off, he is uh, the founder, the creator, the proprietor of uh, Caffeinated Comics, the host of Top Men on the Radio Mistress Podcast Network, John Clark. How you doing, Elliot? I, I think I'm doing better than you. For once. <laughs> well, I'm feeling dark and conflicted, which is the perfect time to talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Death. <laughs> I get that. Yes, we are going to, this is going to be a dark, dark ride. If you folks, if you turned in last week for the MCU review, when we talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp, John was in the middle of a move. And uh, let's just say he's still in the middle of a move. <laughs> okay. You don't know how many times I've done tilt adjustment on a flat screen TV. <laughs> no bueno. No bueno. All right. <laughs> and uh, our next uh, panelist is my co-host on the Shaken Not Heard James Bond podcast, the show that gave birth to both uh, the MCU Review and Top Men, because we kept saying during our talk about James Bond that we had Talk about Indiana Jones, uh, Dave Pinnell. How you doing, Dave? Pretty good. How about you? I'm again. I'm doing great. John, <laughs> not so much. But you know, we all have those days. I now, used so, it though. You used good. <laughs> I used it to make jokes no one wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Dave is like Jerry Seinfeld in this particular equation. I, that I, make, I know where you're going with this, and that's going to make you Kramer. <laughs> well he's jerry uh i'm i'm kramer i'm up you're george and you're a bit down right now so, so what you're saying it's time to bring in elaine it's time to bring in yeah. elaine yeah. speaking of our uh our eye candy why yes he is also our resident mixologist and the one who creates all the custom drinks for the mcu review and for top man thomas jetner Evening, guys. Good evening, Tom. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, things are a little busy around the house, but other than that, everyone's doing okay. All right. I'm glad to hear that. You know, we're taking a, a level here. 
the temperature of everybody in the room. You know, you're cool. Um, for those of you who are watching on the live stream, you can see that uh, Tom and Dave have the custom drink for tonight's show. We'll be talking about that. Uh, good evening, Susan. Good evening, Lehman. Good evening, everyone who is watching us on the Facebook and YouTube live stream. Again, if you are watching us on the live stream, feel free to comment. Drop a comment. We do respond to everything. We try to respond to everything in real time as we go through our conversations here. If you are listening to this show as part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, thank you so much for tuning in. And I think this one this one's going to be a great one. I say hold on to your potatoes because we have a very special guest. Um, I have known this gentleman for some time, and I'm going to tell you, there's nothing he loves more than to give me serious Indiana Jones envy. He's a PR professional. He is uh, formerly of Lucasfilm and Disney. Um, and uh, let's just say... He also has probably one of the greatest dogs in the world named Walter, John Singh. John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Well, tell really thank you. No, thank you. Because, again, uh, you, my friend. There's another thing I like to talk to you about, Elliot. And yes. He's right over here. So. Which yes. Is Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because, um, um, well, John, when 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 John and I first started, you know, communicating with each other, of course, I was Pete's dragon in in, in every case. Anyone named Elliot is, is is Pete's dragon. So, I'll go with it. I'll take it. It's, it's good. It's better than than the alternatives. It's, you know? it's a very good thing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how are you guys? Are you ready to talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Now, uh, for those who might not be aware, again, John loves to tease me with, uh, with well, kind of his experience with these uh, movies with, uh, you know, your own experience. Uh, let me, this is something that he sent me right before we went on air. <laughs> just, the wrong one, just about 40 minutes ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, now, now, John, are those are those uh, 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 replica toys that you're you're posing? Those are not replica toys. <laughs> actually, that's that's um, it, when I when I worked at Lucasfilm, one of the projects that I worked on was uh, bringing the Jeopardy crew to the Lucasfilm archives, and um, uh, you know, the archives is one of those places that 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 in theory you know that you can go there when you work at Lucasfilm, but it just doesn't seem like the place that you should ever set foot in. So um, I got to spend basically two whole days there just, just playing around and, 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 and whenever we saw something, we, they would just tell us, yeah, you can pick that up. Yeah, you can touch that. Except for the Death Star, the, the uncompleted Death Star from, from Return of the Jedi. That was, uh, st stay away, don't even breathe on this thing because it's going to fall apart. But, oh. but those are the those are the real Shankara stones, yeah. And the crate from the from and the, the crate, yeah. Arc, oh. And and then I got, I, as you know, I got to peer inside the actual Ark of the Covenant. So. And, and your face didn't melt off. It, it's it it it's really really good plastic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, so really incredible envy with John because you've actually been able to be a part of that world. Um, we're also we're going to have you back uh, when we talk about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because you were involved also promoting that film too, right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I loved it. Okay, you don't have to apologize to me. Like I've I've loved all the Indiana Jones movies, warts and all. And again, you're you're not going to see any indie hate coming from this guy here. You know, I loved them all uh, pr uh, pretty much. So yeah. <laughs> I love them all pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I love all my kids equally, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Look, as a firstborn, I know that the firstborn is always the favorite. So come on, let's be real here. So. Anywho, so what we're going to do is, of course, today we're going to talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. We've invited John uh, to join us. Uh, you say Temple is your favorite of the series? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, definitely want to hear about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to lead off with our two-minute our two minute, uh, uh, indie, indie dive-in. Uh, so essentially, we'll give you two minutes to give us your perspective, your a quick review of the uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Normally, what we do is we re rewatch the film before coming on air. If you have not had a chance to rewatch the film before coming on air, at least giving your two a two minute review of the film. And since you, John, are our special guest and it is your favorite film, in two minutes, tell us what you love about this film. I love that it plays on the idea that of everything we know about Indiana Jones from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that they've set up the idea that Indiana Jones is this uh, very human, but clearly invincible kind of guy. And that he, I think on a meta level, we know we're watching a movie. So uh, I think what I love most about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is the way that they played with the idea that we're just going to throw him into the most unlikely, most ridiculous of scenarios and let him uh, figure his way out. You know nothing will ever happen to him. You know that that is impossible. So the joy is watching them create these kinds of, you know, Rube Goldberg style contraptions and situations that, that, that seem impossible to get out of. And it's just pure fun. Um, that's the thing I love most about it. And then on a, on a bigger level for me is the idea that um, I first saw it and it came out when I was probably at the most impressionable age for something like this. Um, it, 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 it's hard for me to decide whether I love Temple of Doom most because I think it's the best Indiana Jones film or because it's the Indiana Jones film that came out at the best time for me. Can you go a little bit more into that? Yes. Oh, right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that, you know, for me, I look, now you're going to just make me go ahead and say it that I, you know, I was, I was a senior in high school when it came out and um I worked at the at, at a big single. In fact, you asked me to pull some show and tell stuff, and one of the things I pulled out was not from uh, Lucasfilm, but was this this ad from 1984 when it actually was uh, came out 
in 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 San Diego where I grew up and um, got to work at the movie theater where it was playing and it was just it was it was such a a kind of movie event that we don't get anymore. This anticipation that it was coming um, was huge. It, 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 and so I don't know whether um, the movie itself is what I respond to or whether it's the triggers of that time that I respond to or a little bit of both. But I do remember one of the most, one of the most fun things that I remember about that movie is when we first saw it, that very first show, and it opens with that musical number. And it, it, it from that point on, I mean, literally the, the, the song is Anything Goes and that's the tone of the movie. And I think that's what is so wonderful about it. It's just, it's just joyous. Despite the fact that it's dark, um, it's, just, it's just so much fun. So, John, I appreciate that. I said you had two minutes and then you were respectful of the two minutes and then I made you go further. So I see what you were doing here. So I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dave Pino. Um, this is a movie like, you know, uh, the, the other indie movies, as you know, Elliot, I'm not as huge of an Indiana Jones fan, but I think I'm, I'm becoming more of one because of this show. Um, I've seen it a couple of times in my life, not, you know, a ton, but. You know, every couple of years, there'll be an indie marathon or something. And it'll give me a reason to watch this. And um, it's just a fun movie. It, it, I know one of the criticisms or, you know, depending on where you're coming from, um, compliments it's received is it's it's dark, noticeably darker, darker than the than Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I kind of like that about it. There's this sort of um, uh, almost mean spirited feel to it that while it's still very much an Indiana Jones movie, it still has tons of moments of levity and, and it's fun and raucous and everything you expect from, from an, uh, an indie movie. Um, and Ellie, you know, I'm going to bring this up. That whole opening sequence to me, it just screams James Bond. And that's one of the reasons I, I love this one so much. Uh, it feels like, you know, with Raiders, there's a little bit more of a buildup to sort of introducing Indiana Jones to the audience since it's our first, um, encounter with him, but in this one, even though it's technically a prequel, um, you know, it just basically jumps right into the action. There's no big buildup. We know who Indy is at this point. There's no need to waste a bunch of time with, with, um, exposition, everything and introduce reintroducing him to the audience. So that, you know, that opening where you, you see the Paramount logo and then you basically jump right into the story, into the adventure. Uh, to me, it feels like a bond movie, like a, a pre-title sequence, to a Bond film. It's almost like this little self-contained adventure. And then, of course, you have uh, Harrison Ford dressed almost exactly like Sean Connery in, in Goldfinger. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a it's a fun movie. I, I always forget, I mentioned when I was messaging you guys a couple days ago, I always forget that Dan Aykroyd randomly shows up in this movie, which I love. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a million things we can get into the individual, you know, subtopics as we go on. But I, I really enjoy this one. I will say that I remember when I first saw Indy, uh, Temple of Doom, and uh, Harrison Ford shows up in that that uh, tuxedo. I did not think James Bond. I thought I thought uh, I thought uh, Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. So I thought okay, they were yeah. doing a Bogart. As many people they referred to Harrison Ford as a modern day Humphrey Bogart. So, but of yeah. course, after um, Shaken Not Heard, I was like, 
holy crap, the red carnation. That's yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be equal parts of both. Keep going, John. Because oh, is it my turn? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh yeah, I I I think that suit he wears in the club, Obi-Wan, is supposed to evoke both Sean Connery's Bond and uh Humphrey Bogart and Casablanca because this Indiana Jones is a lot rougher around the edges. And um yeah, I, I think as you look at it, you can see it as a prequel, but originally they just they just said it earlier so audiences wouldn't wait for Karen Allen. <laughs> uh which Spielberg says like people would have been distracted going like, We love Marion, where's Marion? What happened to Marion? So they were just like, just change the year. But Indy's a, a, a different person than he is in Raiders. He's like, he's certainly harder edged. And I think, uh, I think his arc is softens him enough where he's the guy he is in Raiders. But there's, um, it's not just, I mean, we can talk about this being dark for the whole show and we, we can say, Oh yeah, there's monkey brains. There's child, child enslavement. Uh, there is, uh, I, I think the scariest moment in this whole thing is the uh, when Indy is taken over, um, when he's given the mind control drug. First of all, that scene of him, it's like the anti-Black Panther where he's in that like tomb. With, but then also the scene where he attacks Short Round mm-hmm. is um, there's no wink in that. And um I mean, he's there's commitment to it, but it's like between John Williams' score, the lighting, and Harrison Ford's performance, you're in you're in a, a point you've never been that low in Raiders. Um, but then again, some of the uh, some of the heights of it are so much bigger. You know, the minecart scene is so much more than the truck scene would have been. You know, um, the the ch- just the whole. Uh, chase for the diamond in the club. There's so much chaos in that. There's like more random elements happening in that than there are in the streets of Cairo. Uh, everything's a little bigger. Harrison Ford's hat is a little bigger in this movie. <laughs> uh, everything's just kind of heightened. He Harrison Ford's the most ripped he ever is. In fact, he really screwed up his back making this movie and they had to shoot a lot of the scenes with his double. But this movie is the perfect sequel, and it's like, let's do everything in that first movie, but do it more. Definitely, definitely. Tom. Well, uh, I'm not, this is my least favorite Indiana Jones movie. So I'm going to say oh. uh, uh, right out front, <laughs> this is my least favorite Indiana Jones movie. Um. I had actually a hard. I I made several attempts to try to get all the way through it, and finally, my my wife and I had to do it together uh, for me to kind of stay with it in terms of when I was trying to watch it. I think there are two pieces that kind of sum up this movie that really stuck out to me when I was watching it. One is that because this is a very different movie from Raiders of the Lost Ark, very very different. I agree with Dave's assessment. This is much more like a James Bond movie, like kind of watching this, I get almost kind of like live and let die feels. I think at some point, some, some, some pieces of it. Uh, But the opening musical number, um, they bring out the title card and it's the only Indiana Jones film out of the three to have the title in the big orange and yellow uh, splash 
it's normally this uh, kind of split uh, Roman font. Uh, Dave would know if I just say Colorado Rockies, I think Dave would know <laughs> what I was talking about. Yep. Um, all the other title sequences are like that. And you have the big splashy kind of cartoony letters and Willie is in front of the letters. So that struck me like, okay, so we're, 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 we're doing a real focus on this. And the other thing that I kind of pointed out is toward the end, you have Indy come up with the two against the two guys with swords and Indy reaches down for his gun and it's not there. So they set up that same bit that they had did in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he just pulls out the gun and, and shoots the swordsman. But now he can't shoot the swordsman because they've taken away his gun. And now it's two swordsmen instead of just one. So it is kind of doing a lot of the things they wanted to do in the first Indiana Jones movie, but more or, you know, it's kind of like coming back. It's like, all right, let's do the scene where Indy has to fight a guy with a sword rather than just have him shoot him. Um, and um, it's this the, the opening, I think, sequence from the from the scene at the uh night at the uh, club obi-wan through to the um uh the the raft parachute uh is very exciting and then we actually don't get a lot of action we don't get a lot of action for then a significant chunk of the middle movie and then we're on a roller coaster ride we're on a we're on a theme park ride for the last like 45 minutes or so so i have multiple critiques of this movie <laughs> um but uh it's just it's very very different and if you were coming into this movie i can't imagine what it was like see i was a little too young i was too young to see it in the theaters but coming out of probably raiders the lost ark and seeing this movie you'd had to feel like you were watching almost an entirely different franchise uh i will say and um uh, I, yes, saw this movie in the theater. I think uh, John Singh and I were about the same age when this came out. I remember going to the local Sports Mart. Sports Mart, that was the precursor to all the other sports uh, stores at the time. And getting an advance ticket to seeing uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom at the Chicago Theater. This is back when the Chicago Theater still showed movies. I uh, bought it at Ticketron, Ticketron being the precursor to what we know today as Ticketmaster and all the other ticket services. I remember going, I and the gal at the counter said, "What are you?" She thought I was there to buy a concert ticket. I went, "No, I'm, I'm, I want to get a, one one ticket. Yes, one ticket to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom." And I wanted to watch it in the early afternoon, not the first showing. I thought, eh, because I was going to take the train downtown to see the movie. They don't want to get up too early. Get down, and I bought one ticket. That's sad little Elliot <laughs> to see this film. And yes, and I saw it in a theater that was fairly full not not a packed evening showing, but enough people where every joke, every bit, every stunt hit. We all laughed at the same time. We all gasped at the same time. All the you know, it just it just. Uh, I think that was a big part of the experience too. The fact that it happened when it did, I saw it with the crowd that I did. Um, yes, it was a far cry from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was much darker, but it's funny 
Temple of Doom actually has more jokes and more humor in it than Raiders. Um, Harrison Ford does a lot more of his comedic type stuff in Temple of Doom than he does in Raiders. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about Kihui Kwan, who as short round just freaking steals a show every time he's up. The uh, to me, I love them then. Every time I watch this movie, again, I just finished watching it before we came on air. I was like, uh, it's to me a wonderful, wonderful sequel. And it, it also shows one more thing. And this is a, one of the, those more annoying things that goes around about Indiana Jones. is that meme that goes around that's saying, well, why don't we create a character like Indiana Jones, except he returns all the things that have been stolen to their point of origin. I'm like, did you even watch Temple of Doom? In Temple of Doom, he returns Nur Hachi to China. Yes, it's a warlord, okay? Yes, I know, it's a Chinese warlord. But he's bringing him back to China, and he's returning the, the Shankara stones to the village that it was stolen from. So, you know, I'm getting tired of that bit there. All right. John, am I, John Singh, I'm sorry, am I wrong here? You're, you're not never going to get any any argument from me on anything, Elliot. But particularly, <laughs> particularly in this case, and 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 I think that um, I really appreciate what Tom is saying about his his reaction to this film. And did you recently just watch it for the very first time, Tom? No, I, I I'd seen it a few times. Uh, it always it mostly I saw it when I was on TV when I was a kid, and then I saw it on the big screen um at the music box when they were doing uh, they were doing all three films back to back to back a number of years ago and then i watched it um i think again for the for the very first time all the way through but i i remember just kind of like having I'm trying to remember if it was i'm trying to remember the sequence that i saw it at the music box because i think i saw temple of I can't remember if I saw this one first because I'm pretty sure I saw Raiders last. So I think maybe it was Last Crusade first, then Temple of Doom, and then Raiders. So it it was quite a bit of a whiplash going from one to the other because well, I I, th I find it really interesting what you said about even even that opening shot, you know. Um, of of Willie Scott coming out of the dragon and having the 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 title appear behind her, not only the not only the title but the kind of the kind of uh, uh, illustrated version of the title, and I mean that was literally a wow that was a gasping moment when when you first saw it on the big screen because you know this was before CG, so the 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 ability to do that was 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 like. That alone told you this is going to be a completely different film than you're expecting. And, well, it, was and between, it was between Willie and the backup dance. Yeah, right, right. She actually appears in front of it. And then, it, yeah, but it's against the BS. Exactly, exactly. But I think that that's, that, that signal that this is going to be um, entirely different than you expect is, is the moment that I have a feeling a lot of people kind of, I mean, literally right from the start, just kind of were lost on this film, too, because it, it, it didn't open up with, you know, Indiana Jones in the desert fighting Nazis. So, well, neither none of the films open with Indiana Jones in the desert fighting Nazis. <laughs> um, 
it, but I I don't I don't know if necessarily if the movie lost. I'm not going to say the movie lost me because um, I think I got more into it as the the movie then went going because I do think the next series are very very good. Um, aside from the the geography of crossing the Great Wall of China while flying from Shanghai south west across china that that, that i was it does something it kind of short-circuited my brain while i was watching it um it's one of those like divide by zero moments where you're just like you can't do you can't do like like um but the the subsequent sequence i think is is very very good i don't necessarily know if the movie necessarily lost me or anything like that. Um, well, I think my, my I wife and I, yeah. My point is though, that, that, you know, it starts with that moment. It, 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 it moves into this, this crazy Busley Berkeley, Busby Berkeley on steroids musical number. Um, and, and, and I truly think that, that for the people who saw it at the time, like, Tiny little Elliot, who 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 was lost and totally alone in, in a movie theater. Um, uh, uh, that that it it left everybody kind of going, what what? I mean, this is this is not an this is not an Indiana Jones movie. And what am I seeing? And and I think that 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 kind of subversion of expectations really is is to in my view is to the film's credit. I can see that. That's, I think also this the frame of watching the movie changes if you think of it as the short round story. That if you reframe it as Kehi Kwan is the actual protagonist, then then I think if you see everything as this is being retold by a forty five year old short round and describing this series of events to his children or something like that, then suddenly the the movie comes into clearer focus. I would say, but before we get too far into that, and speaking about subverting expectations, why don't we get into the custom cocktail for tonight's show? Uh, As we do in every episode, uh, Tom uh, creates a themed drink uh, that shares um, some element from the film that we're talking about. And I'm going to pull this up here. It's called uh, The Blood and Bubbles, Tom. What uh, what was the inspiration behind this particular drink? Well, I looked at that opening sequence and I saw um, the, 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 the toast to Nurhachi. He's drinking champagne. And he's drinking in kind of like a, a, a champagne goblet, a coupe, like, uh, like, I, I, like I have in my house. Um, rather than a flute, which was kind of the typical for the 1920s and 30s. And uh, there is a lot of significantly more gore in this movie, so kind of tried to thought of, well, let's do a champ- something red, but with champagne. We'll do a champagne cocktail. Champagne cocktails were very, very popular uh, uh, in the first half of the 20th century and, in, and into the 19th century. And it involves... Uh, supplementing the champagne with a little sweetener with some extra booze with some bitterness or or with uh so a classic champagne cocktail would be to use cognac and sugar and uh, angostura bitters 
sort of like an old fashioned. And this way I, I did, I try to get a little more red in there by using going kind of the Sazerac direction of using uh, whiskey because I figured Indy would prefer whiskey and then um, Peychaud's bitters, which are, are more bright and red. Uh, and I think it, as the sugar cube in mine is dissolving, it gets consistently sweeter toward the end. Uh, and if you're using this, if you're trying to make this at home, I would say definitely use a more drier champagne rather than a um, rather than a uh, an Asti uh, or a uh, or something like that, um, something that's sweeter. So it's fairly straight. It's fairly straightforward and conventional. I tried to make something that everyone could make at home instead of my usual grocery list of ingredients. <laughs> we appreciated that. Yes, yes, yes. So I think Dave is Dave drinking it or is Dave drinking the one from Ant-Man? I'm drinking last week's Ant-Man one, which I multiple times, as Elliot can attest, uh, forgot in our mini fridge at work. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I'm going to remember it this time. So I am, I'll, I'll do a, a belated review of the Ant-Man one. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Are you drinking John's as well? No, John's is still there. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't drink John's. Um, I just got to figure out a time that, that we can connect at some point downtown. Uh, so, yes, if you go to Review Cocktails or the Top Men Indie Podcast uh, Instagram pages, you can see a picture of the Blood and Bubbles as created by our own Tom Jetner. And you'll have an image as well as the recipe on how to make your own custom cocktail at home. Uh, are you uh, John Singh? I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to say last name so we don't confuse it. Are you much of a drinker, John? I am not, actually. So. That's fine. No, that's fine. Uh, but I, I'm thinking we're going to do probably for uh, if if we talk about young Indiana Jones, we'll make a kitty cocktail. You know, we'll do it. Oh, well, so you can make one on our short round, too. Although I have a feeling short round would just like Coke straight up because he's just like an American. He loves America. He wants. Yeah, he wants this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Let's go a little bit deeper into things here as we talk about the film. Um Normally, uh, John has a feature where he talks about the toys of Indiana Jones. There were toys, and I've never had one in my hands. Uh, after the failure of Kenner's Indiana Jones line, which uh, only ran about a year, uh, they didn't really want it back. And the Return of the Jedi had already finished, so they didn't really see a future with Lucasfilm going forward. Um, as as we'll talk about with the next two films, those lines are really to kind of keep uh, Lucasfilm happy by the companies that already have Star Wars. This was given to LJN, who was a company in the 70s and 80s, um, disappeared by the 90s, but they were not known for action figures. They had done the E.T. line, um, which uh, you might remember was just an E.T. and his neck could go up. That was about the, the most engineering they did for action figures. But they only produced three figures in the line, which is very, very rare. Um, even Ertl did a Star Trek three line that had four. Like It was so rare to only have three, but there's an indie there, uh, with a full jacket, so not the iconic look from this movie. There's a Molaram and a short round. They didn't even bother making Willie. And they were in a scale. Almost nothing else was in... Uh, it was close to the the big rubbery uh, wrestling figures of the 80s, which LJN also did. 
Um, now, of course, they're about $200 a pop, and they're awful. They're bad toys, bad articulation. Uh, they look slapdash. Indy has a removable hat, so good luck finding an Indy with a hat. Uh, so, and But it's a lot more to talk about than the next film, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where there will be nothing. Uh, I will say there was a uh, a wave in the 2008 line that's very also is as hard to find as the LJ and line was because uh, they were shutting down the Indiana Jones line. Those are the nicest sculpts. Um, the Indiana Jones from that has great detail for a three three quarter figure, and they've just announced that the in the new Hasbro Adventure series, which are the Marble Legends scale, like we talk about on MCU review, there will be a at least. Um, an Indiana Jones in from the bridge, a, a possessed Indiana Jones, and a short round in that line. Because luckily they're going back and covering every movie. Uh, I actually have a couple Indiana Jones um, collectibles. Uh, I have the original Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom video game from Nintendo, the 8-bit uh, version. I've held on to this baby for a very long time. Elliot, when did that come out? Because because 84 is still Atari. We're not in Nintendo yet. Oh, they no, this would come out about, I want to say a year later. Because wow. remember, there was an arcade version as well. This is a port over of the arcade. I, I remember the arcade version. Yeah. You will walk from here. Yeah. Yeah. So this um this um this is like a scaled down version. Of the arcade, which is again the I, I want to say the only Indiana Jones movie that would be turned into an arcade game outside of the the pinball adventure, and then yes, I do have the Temple of Doom lunchbox. Is that an is, original or a reissue? No, this is an original. You can tell it's kind of rusty, kind of scuffed up, uh, but this is a vintage Temple of Doom. Lunchbox, which is among my most prized. Can you bring that front closer, Elliot? It looks like his head is just like pasted on the other side. The other oh, side. here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looks like a yeah. really bad Photoshop from before. This is days of airbrushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know, it's him in front of the logo. John, yeah. I'm really curious. That summer, you mentioned Star. They mentioned they did Star Trek 3. Is that right? They did four. Well, they did figure, yeah, there I there was another line I never saw in retail, but in later in the 80s, I found them at a comic convention. They did G.I. Joe Star Trek figures. Huh. And they, they did Kirk and Scotty Scott, all in the red uniforms, and then they did Krug, so they had a Klingon. So they were G.I. Joe scale. Uh, so you could use that. So I, I picked them up for like $2 a piece. Huh. And I think at this point, it was like 87 but I just had them so I would have them in that scale. There were some lines in the 80s, as big as action figures were, that there were some lines that just completely slipped under the radar. And both yeah, I'm curious about the other films, you know, the other big films that summer, like Gremlins and, and, and Ghostbusters, also didn't really do that great on a toy line front. No, Ghostbusters didn't really do anything because it was a comedy. Yeah. So they didn't really see the, the marketing potential when it came out. Uh, and Gremlins, there were there were some toys. There was like a like almost like a Funko Pop Gizmo, and then there was a, a Bendy stripe, and then I also remember also those really disgusting uh, those like Juju bees that you put water on, and then they they're supposed to grow big, and then they just get like slimy. Uh, they made those for Gremlins. 
but not for Indiana Jones. And I'm going to guess this is a complete stab in the dark. I'm going to guess they all had color forms. Yeah, but you didn't really see like, you know, not to get off track, but you didn't really see like, you know, yeah. Billy Peltzer action figures or Kate action figures or something, you know. Yeah. Completely yeah, no, it was just Mogwai and Gremlins. Yeah. Um, on the comment line, Gary Smith, who actually, uh, Gary and I actually went to high school together back in mm. those days. And he comments, I wasted thousands of quarters on that Temple of Doom arcade game. Gary, I think you and I were in the arcade together. I watched you waste a lot of quarters <laughs> on that game. Uh, thank you so much for chiming in and for watching. Susan says, as far as gremlins, hey, how about a, yeah, get a gizmo stuffed animal. There was the, um, well, gizmo's still out there. I think they've they've had gremlins marketing for a bit. And what yeah, were those? A lot of gremlin stuff, the guys who make Alien and Predator. So there's uh, there's always something on, and and they're big and plush. Those uh, talking critters was Furbies. Were they called Furbies? Furby. They, had, they looked like gremlins on, on their own, but then they made a gremlins line that looked like Mogwai and all that. I remember seeing those too. All right, I'm going to ask you, John Singh, this question, and, and I'm, I'm not I'm not I don't know. You work for Lucasfilm, so maybe you can answer this deep cut of a nerd question from me. The diamond in the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that Indy is seeking in exchange for the ashes of Nurhachi, right? Is that the same diamond that young Indiana Jones is going after in Treasure of the Peacock's Eye? Yes or no? You're the final verdict on this. I'm going to give you the answer, not to name drop, but I'm going to give you the answer George Lucas used to give people when they would ask him questions like that. <laughs> yeah. I haven't the slightest idea. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I laid it up. You slammed it in. <laughs> uh, wow. I thought I went deep. One of the things I, I worked on was a whole like trivia the whole a whole package of material leading into Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to reintroduce, uh, you know, Indiana Jones to audiences and to and to fans and to media, and I, I don't think that question ever came up. So. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. <laughs> but that does it, it. It does lead to one of the points that 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 uh, uh, Tom made earlier of the opening of. Temple of Doom, which one of the things that's great about it is, 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 is to your point, not wanting to wanting to make sure everybody understood that Karen Allen isn't in this film and this isn't the same, this isn't the same movie, but that um, it really does feel, you know, they have Wuhan in there in one scene and, and, and you're talking about the, the, the diamond and the crystal and the diamond and the, and the ashes and making this deal and doing this exchange and Lao Che, and, and you get this sense that there, there, there really was a, a whole story that led up to this scene, and this scene is the transition into this new story. And it's so well thought out, and yet at the, on the other hand, it's kind of like just been thrown away. It's Yeah, when Wuhan dies, I remember being sad, and then I watched it again, I'm like, he gets two lines. <laughs> like he's not even there's no establishing shot shot for Wuhan. 
<laughs> yeah, Andy just goes, this is Wuhan, and then Wuhan <laughs> dies. And I still felt bad. I felt like, oh, there were so many adventures for Indy and Wuhan. But, it, it, but only two lines, but I'm telling you, some of the best lines. I mean, I'm telling you, if I'm going to die, I go, we've been on many adventures, but into the great unknown mystery, I go first. Oh, what? Oh, that is a great death. Is that, that what you want on your tombstone, Elliot, so everybody knows? Yeah, it, it, I go into the great unknown mystery. I go first. Well, that really works because anyone seeing that headstone will be not dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you go first to anyone who, who sees it. Also, uh, Wuhan. Okay, actually, you know what? I never thought about this before, but it's a really wonderful kind of echo to Sala's line. And uh, mm -hmm. I've never, I, it, I've never connected the two of, you know, you go first, I go first. Mm -hmm. Asps, very dangerous. You go first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the actor who plays Wuhan will also, that same year, be in a James Bond movie with Roger Moore. We talked about it on Shaking That Herd, didn't we, Dave? Yeah. Um, he plays the uh, CIA character Chuck uh, Chuck Lee in The View to a Kill. Actually, came on 85. This okay. was 84, right? A le yeah, le a year later. Yeah, but the, the, both movies were in production around the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. so he's basically... Um, I think they originally wanted Bond mm -hmm. to meet up with um, Felix Leiter in Chinatown because there's this whole part of View to a Kill that's set in San Francisco. And then they decided, well, let's give him a, um, a, a contact there that's a little bit more tied to that actual region. So they came up with this Chinese uh, CIA character of, of Chuck Lee, who's very likable in that. Um, unfortunately, he meets a pretty grisly demise, as many of Bond's uh, contacts do. But uh, he has a little bit... Quite a few more lines in that than he does in this movie. <laughs> but what a resume, you know? Yeah. You got you got the team up with James Bond and Indiana Jones, like in successive years. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you that 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 is that is saying something. It's, um, it's kind of like Karen Allen because Karen Allen doesn't have a very long filmography, but it's Animal House, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Starman, Scrooge. It's <laughs> you don't need a lot more than that. It's also in that there's also in that scene one of kind of my favorite character actually Rick Young is the um I guess you could call him thug number 2 uh to the left of Lao Tse um who I think he has the the wounded hand or something like that mm -hmm. you you know his face it's like you've I've seen him in a bunch of movies he's in 7 years in Tibet or he was in um The Last Emperor He's in a few movies that I've liked over the years. Uh, also, I love him in the audiobook version of World War Z. Um, he does a reading for that, and he's just terrific. But he's but uh, just great. Has one of those character actor like faces of just like and uh, very very good uh, very good performer. So it was nice to see him in that. He's very young in this this movie. Elliot, can you repeat your question about the diamond? I, I, ha I have I have just discovered something. Ooh, okay, possibly. So is the diamond from the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom the same diamond that young Indy went after oh. in Treasure of the Peacock's Eye? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I did. I, I did that. I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I created this uh, media kit in, in, in 2009, and it actually has a bit about the remains of Nurhaki down here. 
and it says only Lao Che, having had dealings with Indiana Jones, hired Jones to secure the remains in exchange for a priceless diamond. So, I mean, is is it possible? Sure, but I would I would I would think that you know probably we would know something about Lao Che having met Indiana Jones at some point earlier in his life. Uh, I, I, and I, I often think that that was just something that the writers of Young Indy came up with later. Yeah. You know, kind of like to fill in that gap. Like, what was this? Why did he have this thing for a diamond, this, this huge diamond in Temple yeah. of Doom? Hey, let's make it something that he went after when he was, you know, in his teens or in his early 20s. Well, I did, I did, I did want to look that up and see if I could find it for you. So. Well, I appreciate that, and I think though because you couldn't provide an answer, I believe you owe me a copy of that media kit now. Uh, okay. <laughs> there is some interesting. There, there's some interesting history on um, the Nurhachi remains. It said first, first uh, emperor of uh, Manchu dynasty, which is yeah. not. A hundred percent, he was the immediate predecessor of the first Qing emperor of uh, China. But given this is 1935, this is four years after the Japanese invasion of Manchuria. And the Japanese have installed the last uh, Qing emperor, Pu Yi, as the emperor of their puppet state, Manchu Kuo. So there's maybe a little more skullduggery. Maybe this is maybe these guys are are potentially Japanese agents that are acquiring this to bolster the legitimacy of the puppet state. Maybe they're represent representatives of the Kuomintang, who are, uh, I believe, in control of Shanghai at this moment and trying to bolster background or trying to prevent it from falling in the wrong hands. So there's that. Artifact is a little more loaded given the, the context of 1935 than you might expect. Well, I, I, I don't want to get too much into the the history because I know a lot of folks do give, they they say they talk so much about how much Indy plays in history and they try to make it historically accurate. Um, and then of course, the, the screenplay to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom would be written by uh, the screenwriters on American Graffiti, Willard Willard, I, I never pronounce his last right. name. I'm sorry? Hike. Willard Hike and Gloria Katz. Thank you, John. Yeah. And um, uh, but I will say, because this movie really is it, it embodies more of again the 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 Republic serials where things kind of it looks it's very obviously when they're in the jungle, it's obvious they're not really in the jungle, they're on a set. That whole bit with Willie Scott, you know, running around and running into the different animals but they're supposed to be in the the jungles of india there are no monitor lizards there there are you're not going to find an owl and they don't have giant vampire bats in fact there aren't giant vampire bats vampire bats no there was uh there was something the second unit found yes they they just they just saw bats flying and they were like oh we'll just add in the line they're giant vampire bats it's like these are fruit bats Right, which shows that uh, to me always what uh, uh, Indy is even more questionable an animal expert than he as he is an architect, uh, an archaeologist. You know, doesn't practice that or a pilot or a pilot. And I'll, I in my own head, I remember when I saw it first saw it as a 
as you know, as a young man, I was like, oh, he's just saying that to freak Willie out. He's just saying that to freak her out. She's <laughs> like city girl out in the you know out in the sticks for the first time. He's just saying what he can to freak her out. You know. No, he has no idea how to no idea how to fly that plane. And then and then the next film, which is set five years later, he tells his dad, fly yes, land no. Because no. he flew that plane for about 10 seconds. <laughs> um, that's the character arc you get. Right. But that's but that's also what I again I, I'm gonna go back to my original kind of thesis statement, which is that's what I love about the movie is is you know, I mean this is this is not a situation that Indiana Jones should be able to get out of. Right. Um, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no logical reason. There's no logical way that Indiana Jones can navigate his way out of this situation, but there's no, no obvious, there, obviously there's no way that they could even get into the situation to begin with. So it's just so patently ridiculous that it, 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 it all becomes fun. And I think that leads up to the mind car chase of, come on. I mean, this, this is, this thing is, uh, this is out of control. This is just silly. But it's 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 reveling in that silliness. I agree, John, because I remember when I saw it in the theater that first time, and Willie and Shorty and and Indy get in that mine car, and boom, they go no the left tunnel, Indy left tunnel, and of course, Indy thinking he knows what's best does the opposite. He says, "I'm going to take a shortcut," makes it worse every time. Indy thinks he knows the right thing to do. He does. He does the worst possible thing in that particular situation. Um, but I remember in the theater when you had that first that first shot of the mine car going down like a roller coaster, and you hear Willie screams like someone like when you hear someone typically screaming at a roller coaster. We all laughed in the theater. We all like it was like oh my god! It, it was exactly that. It's like oh now we're hitting another level here of just it's thrilling. But it's also ridiculous. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah, but, uh, John, being a publicity man, do you recall movies being described as roller coaster rides before Temple of Doom? Um, because they all question. are now. Yeah, that, no, that's that, it's that's a really good question. I'm not sure. I'm I'm sure that worse. I'm sure that 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 moniker had been applied. But I think that it, it was it was the biggest criticism leveled against this film is that it feels kind of tailor made to be some kind of you know theme park ride, right? And and that it it it, it felt at the time. I mean, take your back, take yourself back 38 years ago. It, it it felt so of its own thing, so so completely different to everything else that had come before, uh, even to Raiders of the Lost Ark, because it was pitched so high. It was it was just so loud and so kind of aggressively nonstop. I mean, Tom pointed out that it feels like there's a lull that takes place from the time they they kind of. Um, get off the raft to the time they get attacked by the thuggies for the first time at Pencott Palace. I mean, that's 25 minutes. That's 25 minutes of stillness in an hour and 55 minute movie. Yeah, and but it's all, it's all world building. So it's like, like Elliot was saying with the Republic serials, that's the episode where they explore the jungle. 
because there's these mini adventures that happen to them. And right. but even even within that, as Elliot pointed out, it's just it's 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 you know Willie Scott screaming here and turning around, and screaming there and screaming there and screaming there, and you know I mean drove people nuts. I know that I, a lot of people just just couldn't get past Willie Scott, but. Um, she's yeah it's it's just it's just also it's all it's all just silliness and that's one of the things i love i'm gonna i'm gonna defend the 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 willie scott character here because i will admit yes she is different from marion but every one of the indiana jones films the challenge there is coming up with a new dynamic between indy and the female foil or companion or whatever um, I know when they finally roll around the Last Crusade, uh, you think that the Elsa character is going to be, you know, she's blonde. You think, oh, it's another Willie, but she's more of a, maybe she won't scream so much, although she does a little bit in the beginning. They have to come up with a new uh, take on each of the relationships. So I'll, I'll give it to that. Plus, Willie does come into her own um, by the end of the film. You see that character kind of like, you know, kind of find her inner you know that strength inside and again when i watch it every time i watch it it the screaming meme aspect of her doesn't grate at me so much because i've heard it and more why they're why they're she's playing that character that way comes forward because again you need okay this is the first time we really see the sort of womanizing aspect of indie you know the dude is like you know He's kind of a jerk towards women, <laughs> you know. He's kind of a jerk towards everybody in this. Well, yeah, he is. But, I mean, this one's like, well, I'm allowing you to tag along. And then she comes back like, you haven't been able to keep your eyes off me since you entered my club. So they already set up that dynamic there. Yeah, and the most self-serving seduction scene ever put on film. Yes! <laughs> they literally, the two of them stand there and talk about themselves. Then they go to opposite rooms and, and are mad that that person isn't isn't talking about them. <laughs> but there it is. And again, there's no action, but things just keep happening, happening, happening. If there's if there isn't an action set piece, there's some sort of character uh, character building or comedy. You know that I will say the dialogue, even the still stillness that you referred to, John, it doesn't feel still. No. And I, no. I always felt like something was happening, you know. No, I'm just I'm just saying to Tom's point, there's that moment yeah. where Tom Tom, you kind of described it as as quieting down or slowing down yeah. and and it, it does a little bit, but you know, uh if you if you go back and look at any film uh from the 70s or 80s, by today's standards, they are just, you know, by today's standards, they are insanely slow. Uh, and 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 here is a film that 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 I think comes closer to maybe being that bridge between the way filmmaking was and the way it what it became. And I also think there was a lot of that um, what what we now have of, of fan service uh, with Marvel films and 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 the films that you guys love to talk about was this was the kind. This this was happened. This was the first time uh, that I can remember that that really happened. That 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 people came to this movie kind of knowing what to expect, knowing in advance what some of the storylines were, knowing who some of the characters were. Other than the Star Wars films, this was the first film where 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 people kind of um, 
anticipated it. And what's really amazing about that is in 1984, VHS didn't really exist. Um, it was out there, but we didn't, have, most of us didn't have it in our homes. Um, if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark m more than once, uh, you, you probably saw it on TV. And it was showing maybe once a year on network TV. So the idea that people came into this with a solid grasp of Indiana Jones lore was really a testament, I think, to, 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 to what Steven Spielberg and George Lucas had created um, and, and the desire to kind of um, ha have, have fans who really knew everything there was to know about it. When that, in 1984, that required a lot of work. I love your point, John, about how uh, every film of that era will get slow in that second act. Um, you me immediately made me think of two films right, be right before and right after that are known as some of the greatest action films ever. Um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. They get stranded on the on on a, an asteroid and they sit on the asteroid for a good 20 minutes eating apples <laughs> um and return of the jedi I, I always found had a much worse pacing than this return of the jedi like once they kill jabba that movie dies until the speeder bikes show up and it's like three long scenes of exposition you know uh, you know that there's the rebel briefing there's obi-wan there's like that movie sits still and um, well, we also we also meet the emperor and kill Yoda in that. <laughs> we in don't that kill day. Yoda; he passes away peacefully. <laughs> but the but movie yeah, killed there's him. Small, there's smaller moments, but that is the formula of storytelling. But to, your, to John's point, Tom, quietly it happens. Quietly, <laughs> they killed him softly. And, and look at I mean, look at Wrath of Khan. How many films? How many films? How many action films can you imagine would have a scene of? two people talking about the need for reading glasses, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Can I take, just take a moment again, young Elliot, when he saw Return of the Jedi, which I cried at the end. I cried in two places when Yoda dies. And I was even at that point going, Oh my God, I'm crying at the death of a Muppet. And then of course, at the very end, when Luke sees his father and, and Obi-Wan and Yoda as in the forest, I'm like, Ah, so you know, it, it, it hit me here. Maybe I'm uh, if, if if you know today's world is too cynical for stuff but like see, that. But, but yeah. I want to I want to pull it back to Temple of Doom because while all those things happen and you can talk about um all the all the touch points that kind of came to a culmination in in Return of the Jedi in Indiana Jones the Temple of Doom, arguably the biggest sequel up until that point outside of Star Wars. Um, here's a film that basically says, "Eh, forget about everything else you saw. We're not even we're not even gonna worry about you knowing anything about Indiana Jones. I don't even know if at this point he teaches because it's a couple of years before mm -hmm. uh, Raiders. Uh, I mean, he appears in a tweed suit with glasses at Hancock Palace, but but um, I mean." Is yeah, he acts like a professor, but he immediately gets into fights with everybody. Yeah, but is he? And 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 have we? Uh, do we care? And but do he we, does say he's, he's a professor and has to return to his universe. He says right. that, but you're right. right. We're not sure if he's actually teaching. He could be just right. like hanging out, you know. But my my, I guess my point is though that that you, it's just all of the all of those character kinds of moments uh, that make you go awe uh, or 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 make you have some kind of 
you know, more emotional response are, are non-existent in this film. It's just, it's just kind of an exercise in, in, in fun. Yeah, go ahead, Elliot. One moment though, to, to not to contradict you, but the one, when the children are reunited with their parents at the end and you see the little girl with the gap teeth, you know Spielberg picked her out of the group and said, okay, we're going to use you. We're going to do this bit where you're – make sure you turn towards the camera. Make sure you smile big so you can see that you lost your two front teeth there. <laughs> that little girl was probably worried, I'm not going to be in the movie because I suddenly lost my teeth. And Spielberg went, no, you're it. You're going to have a moment to shine because you have that look I'm going for. And I tell you, and I just watched the movie. That scene uh, uh, chokes me up. Every time. It's a, well, there's one thing we've learned from Schindler's List is Spielberg knows how to find one girl in a shot. <laughs> oh, whoa. Well, it's it, actually that the, the village scenes are interesting because I feel like Spielberg treats the, the Shankara stones with more or has Indy treat the, treat the Shankara stones with more reverence than Indy treated the Ark of the Covenant. Um, you know, the, 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 as a positive, I think in this movie is they do manage to kind of hype up the, I don't want to say MacGuffin, but I can't think of another word to describe it in, in terms of hyping it up. So when you see it, you know, even though that it's, um, that it's a rock, you immediately have, uh, you know, a, a sense of um, there's a weight, there's a heft behind it. There's a weight, but at the same time, it can't, like when we talk, what Marcus says in Raiders, he goes, when he refers to the Ark, it's it's not like anything you've ever gone after before. So Temple of Doom has to, you know, kind of walk that balance. Okay, we need to have something significant here, but it can't be something that out, you know, out, um, it's in greater, grander scope than, let's say, the Ark of the Covenant, which can lay waste to mountains and so on this is yeah a rock that even in the beginning indy's like yeah these it's you know it's not that the that the it, to him it's not it's not that they lost the rock it's that their kids got kidnapped yeah and and that's so to get back to the previous point just to tie it together is that it's, it's not that there isn't any emotion in the film it's that those emotional moments don't require you to have have had experience with the character before but i think that 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 is something that the more i watch the film the more it it kind of impacts me that the reason that indiana jones is doing this i mean is is kind of tied into short round and the idea that short round kind of came to him because his parents died and he was out on the streets and 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 here's this ragamuffin kid that got hooked up with indiana jones indy has a high a soft spot for kids and uh, he really, that's something that never gets exploited again, really, in the movies. Maybe mm -hmm. they will this time around. But um, but that's right. That's it. As, as every film has Indy with, the, of course, the female counter, the female, you know, whether love interest or foil or whatever, then there's a sidekick. So in Raiders, Sala is his sidekick. In, in, in Temple of Doom, it'll be short round. In um, Last Crusade, it'll be his father, you know, Henry Sr. And then you'll have Mac in uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They always Sidekick always wears a hat. <laughs> well, yeah, in uh, okay. yeah, you have Shia LaBeouf in Crystal Skull. I mean, Mac turns oh, that on too. Yeah. yeah, he wears a hat in the beginning. And Mac is the Tipo. Mac's Alfred Molina in <laughs> Yeah. So. But the, none of them had that really sweet vintage New York Giants cap that Mr. Round has. 
Yeah. That hat actually lives up to Indy's hat. Yes. Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah, it that does. scene when Indy has finally he's rescued Willie. He's uh, you know, short round has gotten him free of the the curse of the blood of Kali when they give each other their hats, you know, he puts short rounds hat on hat, hat on hat on Shorty's head and then Shorty hands him his hat again, right here, man, gets me right here. I'm like, Oh, but uh, uh, absolutely right. John, that, that Harrison Ford. Now we're going to see this later on. He, in his career, in any other movie he does, he is incredible with younger actors, you know, um, you'll see him later on. Um, hell, he's doing it now in that show, Shrinking. On well, when you're Harrison Ford's age, everyone is a younger actor. Well, yes, but, but <laughs> unless you're unless you're acting opposite Patrick Stewart. <laughs> but he he seems like it seems like these young actors are incredibly comfortable with him. You know, if I were doing a scene with Harrison Ford, I'd be like, "Holy crap, it's Harrison freaking Ford." They say I, they all do that for their first take. I bet you and know, I'm like I, I can't get through my day if this is not on me. All right, uh, 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 real quick, because John, you threw this out in the beginning. Uh, uh, if you could have uh, the physique of Harrison Ford in any of the movies, which one would it be? I'm telling you, Temple of Doom. I would love uh, Harrison Ford bod from Temple of Doom. That kind of he was bulkier than in Raiders, and Raiders he's much leaner. Um, he's you can tell he's had a lot more muscle in this one. Yeah, well, in this one, he knew he was going to have to be half topless in the end. And also, this is the same year as The Terminator. Rambo yeah. was one year later. Action stars are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, by the time Last Crusade comes around, he, and he's an older actor. He doesn't have to play that game anymore. But, yeah, this is the most physical he looks in any of the films. By the time Last Crusade comes out, and then you have Michael Keaton as Batman. <laughs> yeah, and nobody had to work out anymore. <laughs> Any words? Where's the tie in that movie? <laughs> Which is ironically of my of all the indie outfits, the Last Crusade outfit is my favorite. That one is my favorite. Did you yeah. see? I, I don't know. We spoke on this in the air. Did you see the uh, Kenner is quote unquote reissuing a Last Crusade indie that looks like the Raiders indie, but he has a tie? Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. I also saw the Temple of Doom one from the end. It's like, no, that's not working. That's not working for me. But it looks like how Kenner would have made him in 84. Back then. Right, isn't right. great. Yeah. Uh, which physique would you want, Tom? I'm so, mute, Tom. There you go. Thank you. I probably have to go with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, just, uh, I feel... I don't know. I miss being that slender. <laughs> I was that slender in high school. That was it. And then, then my metabolism slowed down, and next thing you know, whoop! I'm more of a. I'm more of. A, I'm. I'm more Sala Raiders Sala. No, at Last Crusade Sala. That's me. That's more what I am right now. <laughs> well, Dial of Destiny Sala is a very skinny Sala, so you got that to look forward to. Yeah. Well. Well. When I hit, you know, seventy, you know, something like that. All right, uh, we're hitting uh, we're hitting over an hour here, and I do not want to uh, take advantage of our special guest's time. What's uh, why don't we go into our home stretch here and talk about um, whether things that we weren't haven't been able to offer so far yet about 
our experience with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, John Singh. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I got to work on um, Crystal Skull. And when we were doing that, I got to hear a lot of conversations about the, the, the three films. I also, one of the very first things I ever worked on uh, when I was at, at Lucasfilm, the first week that I got to Lucasfilm, they told me, oh yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna put out uh, Indiana Jones in the DVD box set. And, and that, was, that was back when, when kind of digital remastering and digital restoration was, was, was still fairly new. There was a wonderful guy here in Burbank named John Lowry who, who um, did, handled the restorations of the films. And so I got to, to to, to, to actually hear discussions about uh, these films. And, and routinely, uh, you would hear George and Steven Spielberg saying that, um, you know, they, they were personally in very dark places when they, when they wrote Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And, and, and that now, you know, kind of, kind of they, they regret that. They wish that a film hadn't turned out so dark. They wish it wasn't so, so mean-spirited. They, they wish it wasn't so, so difficult to watch. And, and I, I just think I, I, I want to come to the defense of this film and say that's why it works. Um, you know, you can't have light without dark. And, and the reason it works is because it goes to these really, really, really scary, difficult places. This isn't Indiana Jones and the Temple of kind of, you know, fun. Uh, this is this is the Temple of Doom. Originally, I guess the Temple of Death was the yep. original working title. And, um, and and it goes there and it takes a kid there. And um, it, 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 it exposes you to some things that, you know, on a big meta level are going to be uh, things that, 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 that kids have to experience. Like, why did my parent change? Why are they different? Why are they going through these, these, these dark, ugly places? Am I ever going to get my parent back? Um, uh, these, are, these are real things, you know, depicted in a fun sort of, of way. And I think that the film doesn't really get credit for that. And... Um, I think it, you know, it's just my own point of view, but I, I'm not, I'm kind of over the whole Indiana Jones fighting Nazis thing. And, and now, now we're going to have our third film with that. And here's a film that with Temple of Doom that just absolutely gloriously, happily, unashamedly goes in its own totally different way. And I think for that, it, it, it's something that, that I just really love it. I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you on that, John, in, in every way, because, uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, the whole bit, uh, it, there is so much symbolism there, especially when you see the bit when the children are escaping from the, from the catacombs through what the dining area of the Maharaja. So you have that symbolism of the people rising up against, you know, the aristocracy, the ruling class. And, 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 and it's like, and now if, if, if people are like, Oh, how can they show that? Well, let's think about uh, uh, kids uh, pretty much being used as some well, labor to make. Yeah, our but also, this, the movie was, was roundly criticized for its kind of uh, immature, simplistic vision of, 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 Kind of colonial India, and and India didn't want them to film it in India. They they rejected the movie, and and here's this moment very RRR of you know at the end of the kids running through and and kind of kind of destroying the the, the palace, destroying this, this symbol of 
of, of, of colonialism um, because they're freed. They were taken away and they're freed. And, and now the, the, the village is going to grow and the village can rise up and, and, and reclaim itself. Um, I think it's great. And the other thing we didn't talk about real quickly is, is, is the John Williams score, which I think is oh, probably, yes. probably in, my, in my view, one of his absolute best scores. And it was a shame that for the longest time you couldn't find it. That score, you can find the Raiders score, you can find the, the, the Last Crusade score. The Temple of Doom score used to be the most difficult one to find uh, because once it was out of print, you, they didn't. it took forever. And then, of course, they did a special reissue of all the scores, and it's easier to find out. But I remember like going crazy, going, I don't know how many different comic conventions, record stores, dealers, online. Well, when they were, this was before you could have online dealers, but you know, even later on when there were online dealers, Man, trying to find that full score was yeah. impossible. Yeah, it's a great score. It is. Uh, real quick in the comments, uh, the hearkening back to the uh, talking about the the diamond. Uh, uh, Susan offered. Did by the way, guys, diamonds are forever. Maybe the diamond in the beginning of <laughs> Temple of Doom was really meant to be a nod towards diamonds are forever. You know? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, and uh, Gary again chimes in in Temple of Doom. Yeah, Ford Hat channels his inner Doc Samson in Temple of Doom or Doc Savage. He actually looks a lot like uh, the cover of a Doc Savage uh, pulp uh, magazine. Uh, Tom, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to offer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> 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 uh, just just a note on the the rejection of colonialism. They're rescued by the British Army. They're rescued by Indiana Jones, and I I, I mean yes, that's true. But the British Army comes as the yeah, thugs, who are the ultimate bad guys in this story. Right. And um, yeah, I mean it's Gunga Din, but I yeah. mean it's the kids. The kids are the kids are freed. The kids are yes rescued. Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I think that oh boy, there was there was an area that we were going to talk about that that has uh that I was going to talk about that had slipped my <laughs> that I'll, slipped my I'll, I'll assume based on that one comment, that nothing I said swayed you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... man, Tom, you were like. You definitely want to throw us out of a plane without parachutes on this. No, no, I don't you're like I'm. I'm pulling the the cord on that and that raft. No, I, it's I it's, it's very right it's now. it's very much. I think I think describing it as like a Doc Sampson serial is 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 perfect. I, I or um, it, you know it 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 plays off of a lot of the old serial tropes and yes. and if you're if you're just gonna roll with that that's fine i have i have, I have no problem against it they, they do the the spiked walls closing together oh another the, uh, this, yeah you know the 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 you know i remember the uh there's an old venture brothers bit from like maybe 15 16 years ago where they said well how fast are they moving it's like uh faster than haunted house spike walls but not as fast as creepy scientists spike walls so you know but but there's that's a good that's a good sequence. There's a lot of like the, the, the whole mine car chase. That's very classic as it's, it's playing into a lot of the type of um, classic stuff that, that you'd seen like 30 years ago and uh, not 30 years ago, um, 
prior to this movie. That would have been 30 years or 40 years prior to this movie. So if you're if you're cool with that, then that's then that's uh, <laughs> then that's then that's great. I don't, I'm not going to I'm not going to hark on anyone from for 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 liking a movie um just because it's it's at the bottom of my uh personal indiana jones uh, hierarchy just because i think when we get into it i love last crusade and we'll probably talk about that when we when we get into uh, this I, was gonna, I was gonna say when we get into it i love crystal skull <laughs> yeah <laughs> crystal skull's grown on me over the years so so if this is kind of the bottom of my my power rankings in an otherwise excellent series then there's nothing wrong with that all right. Well, I guess we got that little bit of sunshine. Let me just add two quick things. The, physical, the physicality of this movie, Crystal Skull. I mean, there's a movie overloaded with CG, right? That, yeah. that, is, that yeah. is just every, every possible thing they could do, they do because they can do it because it's CG. Right, and, and the stunts and the stunts in this one are great, and, and yeah, they are for the most part. They're all they have like you know, yes, motion sequences and 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 little puppets and stuff like that. that. One of the things we got to right. see at the at the archives was one of the little, the cars with the puppets in it and stuff like that. Um, but that 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 all had to be kind of physically created. Um, the other thing that's really an interesting uh, side note is that the is the giant Kali like sitting in like a box in the archives at Lucasfilm oh, or something like, know, like fully constructed. It just takes up all like you go randomly open a door and no, it's just that standing there. The guy, in the, cage, the guy in the cage is in there. Um, uh, the, the heart guy with in the cage. Um, uh, the airstrip scene uh, where they take off, where, where Dan Aykroyd is in this one, where they, they get into Lao Che's airplane, um, is actually, was actually shot at an airstrip called Hamilton, Hamilton Field in Marin County, probably about, it's just down the street, literally from Skywalker Ranch. Um, and when I first worked at Lucasfilm, that was where I bought my house. They had developed it into a, a residential area. And I had no idea. None of us really realized, put the two together, that this was, and they have these huge old hangars. And so you can see those hangars in this movie. And that's now kind of a, a residential area right at the end of Lucas Valley Road. Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Man, that's wow. Um there were a bunch of part, parts that came up. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Dave though go because I can easily uh, just take over at this point. Tom's got me going. <laughs> oh God, I've I've kicked the hornet's nest on this. <laughs> Dave, um, the one comment I was gonna make earlier um, is, and and John Singh kind of comment touched on it was that the fact that Lucas and Spielberg were both going there had gone through very recently some kind of bitter breakups and that sort of fueled the sort of angry energy that this movie has at times. And John Clark I made the observation that means that Temple of Doom is the Pinkerton to Raiders of the Lost Ark's Blue Album. Is that, is that not correct? <laughs> yeah, I feel like ripping a man's heart out of his body and showing it to him and then dipping him into lava. That Spielberg's tired of sex. <laughs> the the um, bitter, arguably misogynistic follow up to a universally loved first entry in in a series. Yeah, so it, it 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 makes perfect sense. 
going to find out who the hardcore fans are. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be me, my friends, because I'll tell you, too. Uh, I remember when Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was first released. Uh, Roger Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert both uh, un uh, unanimously gave the movie four stars and said that it was one of those rare sequels that was as good, if not better, than the movie that preceded it. And I remember when I went to go see it, I had no complaints. I had no complaints. I remember going, how difficult it is to make a sequel that just holds up. How many bad sequels do we see? Just outright bad that it, it doesn't know the characters. It doesn't work for one reason or another. This is Spielberg. Yes, it's dark, but the dude is still, again, one of the great American filmmakers. That scene in the beginning with the diamond and the exchange and the and the um, the the things going back and forth on that little lazy Susan on the table, you know, that Spielberg is able to keep track of all those things going on. That complex and then the, and then the balloons and the ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you never have a problem following any of it. When that that one bit when the 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 diamonds go skittering across the dance floor, and Kate Capshaw, you know, Willie's trying to get it, and it keeps getting kicked out of her reach. And Indy is trying to get the the a bottle of antidote. It keeps always out of his reach. And then the, the big bucket of ice comes along and swallows up the diamond. Everyone in the theater went, oh, at that. That is. Absolutely. And, that's, and that's pure filmmaking because yes. at that point you have no, there's, there's been no interaction with the characters. No character kind of establishing stuff. It's just, uh, you know. Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones saying, where's the antidote? And, yep. and, and Willie Scott saying, where's the diamond? And everybody's laughing and they're going with it. And, and, and they're totally into it and have no idea why, right? Exactly. No, I agree. So to me, it's the whole, and um, I, I just love this movie too. Raiders, I love Raiders. I love Temple. I love uh, 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 Last Crusade. I like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull very, very much. <laughs> uh, although when we get to that, there's a hell of a lot of DNA from Temple of Doom in, in Crystal Skull. Uh, you go in, you go, holy crap. That, uh, you know, as I've been rewatching everything, wow, this, this feels like a very Temple of Doom bit. This feels like Raiders DNA. This feels like some Last Crusade stuff. You know, you can tell that, that by that point, they're pulling everything from the previous movies and putting it into this new stew. Uh, but just focusing on Temple of Doom, you're going to see a lot of stuff that boom. J.J. Um, Abrams, I say I'm convinced he aped the uh, the tone and the 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 way of moving action along from Temple of Doom. He aped it for the Force Awakens because when I think of all, when I think of the Force Awakens, I go that feels like Spielberg from then from that movie right there. So you'll see. One of the amazing things that you just can't do today is 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 you know these gigantic sets, but also the lighting and the. I mean, you, you they replicate these in CG, mm -hmm. and so they look kind of like yeah, vaguely they look like that. But there's something to the physicality and the tactile quality of having you know these 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 these. these 
crazily colored and lit scenes with uh, with with in in real locations that 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 this movie arguably is kind of the zenith of. I think. Um, Oh, I agree. That's no, just incredible. I mean, and then the other thing that you made me think of is that when Spielberg made West Side Story, he talked a lot about how he's always wanted to make a musical, mm -hmm. and I just, I just kind of wanted to keep saying like, you, you made, you made a music, you know, you made a, you made, the, you made a fantastic musical sequence, and and this is the movie that I could see the kid from the Fablemans actually directing. Yeah. You know? Well, I remember when Temple of Doom came out, that's what he said in the very beginning. Everyone said, why is there this big musical sequence in the beginning? He goes, well, always wanted to do a musical, you know? So, so yeah, so when he finally does West Side Story, I'm going, okay, you needed to do, like, the whole the whole deal. So, I, I won't progress. Hey, he's Steven Spielberg. I mean, yes, I am a tad, I was a tad annoyed that West Side Story was what kept him from doing Indy 5 at the same time. Um, you know, James Bangold, I'm sure is going to do an incredible job on Indy 5, or we'll see. You know, I trust it. John, closing thoughts? Quite an intro. <laughs> <laughs> Long sigh. <laughs> um, I want to go back to um, uh, something John said uh, in the beginning about how this movie didn't give you what you expected. And I saw this movie on my 12th birthday and it was the first birthday I could bring friends to the movies and multiplexes were new and it was a big, big deal. And that poster is probably burned into my brain more than any single image of the film. And walking out of it, we all really, really loved it, but we only talked about moments and granted we're kids and, and they're big set pieces, but that's always what I come back to with this movie is it's a movie of moments there's like, oh, they're the, as we said a number of times, there's like the jumping out of the airplane with the rats is a, is a cool moment. The room with the spikes in it. As a 12-year-old, I, I went, finally, <laughs> like we've gone a movie and a half without Indiana Jones being in a room with giant spikes in it. Uh, there's, there's so many set pieces, a lot of them which were used, supposed to be in Raiders, that they didn't have the time and the budget to do. But I feel like it, Temple of Doom is always is a big bag of moments. And there's like, there's things that don't quite line up with each other. There's a lot of fun things, you know, um, you know, you know, that there's uh, monkey brains on one hand and there's, um, and there's, you know, uh, diamonds and antidotes in another. There's a lot of things that don't quite go up to a hole. And the, the quote I always think about, um, that George Lucas said about this movie was he said, we didn't intend for it to be that dark. It's just, you put in a light thing and you put in a dark thing, you put in a light thing and put in a dark thing. And in the edit, you go, Hey, we're losing a lot of the light things. And I do feel like that there's a lot of things in this and they can be incredibly different tones. Um, like the seduction scene between Indy and Willie is like nothing else in that movie. It's like, we, we've mentioned many times, it's like, oh, Spielberg wanted to, to direct a musical, so we gave him five minutes to do that. It looks like he wants to direct a Preston Sturges movie, so they give him five minutes to do that. There, as any sequel to a major, major hit, it's a little indulgent in that, but there are a lot of moments I like, and there are moments that just bother me. So it's not, it's not my favorite, and I may say this on every podcast, but I, I, 
always say Raiders of Lost Ark in my mind is is the most perfect movie ever made. And the reason it is is because it has just enough of every genre that it's this perfect it's this perfect um balance. You know, you have every movie genre there is in that in that. And each one of the sequels in an attempt to outdo that has always put too many in one on one side and it started lopsided. And this is like the horror movie of Indiana Jones. And as we're going to see with Last Crusade, the Last Crusade, Last Crusade will be the comedy of Indiana Jones. So there, so depending on what mood I'm in, I, I can go for this, or it can it's can repel me as much as it draws me in over the last forty years. And let's remember that Sean Clark right now is in a really bad mood from a bad move. <laughs> So, wait, are, are you dismissing my opinion? <laughs> no, no, you just said it yourself. It's a great movie. You're, you're mean. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like nice things. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah, but he can, he can just as easily quote. You just quoted Siskel and Ebert. So just give him the Siskel and Ebert line. Yeah, which is, yeah well, you're scene. wrong. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Uh, <laughs> and where are both those guys now? Oh, oh, first they've gone into they've gone first into the great into the great unknown <laughs> mystery. Yep. I, I open their headstones. One has the thumbs up and one has the thumbs down, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know which. But see, that was the thing too. I remember Siskel was always what he hated everything. So this was one of those rare times when they both liked the same thing. You know, it was kind of rare. All right. Uh, Hey, everyone, uh, Audrey, thanks for checking in uh, for a bit. And um, Audrey says she can only hang out for a bit. We'll catch the rest on replay. Thanks for that. Lehman, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Gary, Susan, uh, for everyone who's been watching us on the, on the live stream on our Facebook, on the Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast Facebook page, as well as on the MCU Review YouTube page. Uh, we really do appreciate if you've been enjoying the conversation, if you've been enjoying the show, we have archives of all previous episodes on the Facebook and YouTube pages. Please give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. Give us a heart. Subscribe and share where you can um, and let us know, um, you know, what you think. And always feel free to join in on the conversation. You can um, uh, we I see all comments as posted on the pages. If you are listening to this show as part of the audio podcast, uh, Caffeinated Comics, uh, thank you. Um, you are all, please uh, let us know what you think by commenting on any of the individual pages, including the Caffeinated Comics Facebook page, where you find all the news that's fit to geek. I'm all, John posts all this stuff in comics and pop culture. I try to post as much relevant Indiana Jones information as I can on the indie podcast page. And uh, John Singh um, will be returning uh, in a few episodes to talk about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So before we go, uh, okay, let's we'll go around the board and share where people can find us on social media, what we're up to, where can we see you next? John Singh. Uh, theoretically, I'm at, at JJ Singh on Twitter, but I haven't actually been on Twitter. You know what? Twitter, the, the Twitterverse is yeah. a dumpster fire. I, have, I, haven't, I haven't looked at any of the other ones. I'm on Facebook. Feel yeah. free to look me up. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I never look at it. I mean, I, so anyway, anyway, you can find me. 
Plus uh, your your uh, PR company. Oh yeah, J Two Communications is the company I started after I left Lucasfilm. So, got so J- all sorts of things. Yeah, it's J Two J Two C O M M dot com. You can find me there. Tom Jetner. Uh, you can find the uh, Blood and Bubbles and all of the cocktails uh, for this show and for the MCU review and all the subsequent episodes, assuming Elliot doesn't kill me before the end of the series. Uh, at, I don't know. Yeah. We're going to have to have a talk. <laughs> Being called into the manager's office after this episode. <laughs> So I, I got to make the next one real good uh, at R-E-V-U Cocktails on the Instagram app. Folks, I just want to assure you, Tom Jetner will be back on the next episode. <laughs> oh, that's Nar- it. You have to have the little, the, little, the little stinger at the end. Like little stinger. Indiana Jones will return. It's like Tom Jetner will return. Yeah. Uh, Tom Jetner died on his way home to his planet, <laughs> on his way to his home planet. <laughs> Dave. You can follow me on Instagram at Pinto underscore noir. Why would we do that? Most of what I post is uh animal related, cute animal related, and usually my dog or sometimes my cat. So and uh, oh folks, just so you know, you do want to follow a uh, John Singh for his dog Walter, who is the handsomest fella you're ever gonna he, he is on he is on Instagram at a dog called Walter. A dog called Walter. You want to follow a dog called Walter, a handsome, handsome man. Wonderful story. Uh, I think, John, I I became an even bigger fan of yours um, after, of course, your previous dog um, and the adventures that we had. We'll talk about him uh, next time. Uh, I want to, you know, that'd be great. Uh, John Clark. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram at notinmybook. I... um... There's actually a picture of the 2008 Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom action figure. Uh, I had to rebuy it because when I was going through my collection, he had somehow slipped away. Um, But if you are not listening to the audio version of this podcast, if you're watching it on YouTube now, you can watch, you can listen to all of the episodes on the Captain of Comics podcast, celebrating 10 years of podcasting. Um, We had a really great episode a couple weeks ago. With Wally Podrazic and Harry Kasman, the authors of Watching TV, on whether or not we have passed the golden age of streaming and why. That was um, a really was, good episode. That was um, a really good episode. It was a great conversation, and they were, they brought up a lot of things that I had never considered, which made perfect sense now. So um, if you want to go back to the audio-only feed, that's a great episode to start with. And we just uh, – I know we just posted the Ant-Man and the Wasp MCU review the next MCU review, we'll, we'll be talking about uh, Captain Marvel. We'll be joined by Peabody Award winner and editor-in-chief of Deadspin, uh, Julie DeCaro. She's going to be jo- joining us for that. And, uh, of course, you can follow me on all the socials, at Elliot Serrano, with two L's, two T's, and two R's. Uh, please uh, follow and subscribe to the uh, MCU review YouTube page. Uh, give us a like, uh, check out Caffeinated Comics, give uh, give us a review wherever you listen to your podcast, because all you have to do is ask your smart speaker to play Caffeinated Comics, and there we will be. And, of course, Top Man and Indiana Jones podcast you can find on Facebook. 
Hey, John and Elliot, before we go, you just mentioned Elliot. Uh, you just mentioned, John, the the kind of uh, this, this, this podcast you did about streaming and, and about kind of where we are in streaming. Uh, one thing that's really underrated and, and really under under remarked upon with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is that it literally changed the entire film industry by by forcing the hand of the PG-13 rating. Which uh, now every blockbuster has to be. Yeah. Yeah, it was this the one two punch of this and Gremlins, which came out within two weeks of each other. Um and, and in one form or another. Yeah, they were the straws that broke the camel's back of the MPAA and they made them institute the PG thirteen and, and and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom plays a really important role in film history for that reason. Uh Red Dawn also, but right after that. Yeah, so it'd be Indy. Uh, Gremlins, Red Dawn. That was just that domino would just you know go from there. Thanks for bringing that up, John. That is a really significant thing. And uh, another reason why the movie's great. And anyone who doesn't think that um, probably needs to find another podcast to guest on. <laughs> <laughs> Narrator, he found another podcast. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, John Singh, for joining us. Thank you all for watching. If you're watching us live, you're watching the video archive. If you're listening to us on the Radio Mistress Podcast Network, thank you so much for being a part of this experience. We'll see you next time when the next Top Men will be talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Until next time, be good, be safe, and remember, it's all about fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory.